0: Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson.
1: And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited for today. Me too. I'm really excited to talk
0: about um, our topic today because today we are going to be using the F word, (gasps) feminism. (laughs) (laughs) And more uh, specifically, what does it mean to actually be feminist? You know, um, we call ourselves feminist and we say in our intro, you know, this is a, a podcast talking about faith and feminism. Um, so what does it mean to call yourself a feminist? But what does it mean to actually be a feminist when we kind of move through the world and make choices every day? Are all of our choices feminist just because we call ourselves feminist? Or um, is there more to it than that? So, um, yeah, today I want to talk about the idea of choice feminism and what it is and what that means. So um, I guess I'll start by asking the question, when did you first start to think of yourself as a feminist?
1: I was thinking about this question and the answer that I want to share is when I actively denied calling myself a feminist. The first time I can remember that. Mm. And I think I was either a freshman or sophomore in college when a professor specifically asked how many of us would identify as feminists and I didn't raise my hand. And she was so saddened by that and talking about how she felt like so many of us, upheld the ideals of feminism, but didn't want to give ourselves the label. So I think it was probably Mm. a year or so after that, sometime in the middle of college, when I really started to tout feminist as a title that I was proud of and would say publicly. Uh, So I'm going to say about 20, 21 years old. What about you? You know, I've called myself a feminist my whole life, but I don't think I
0: really understood what that meant um, until I was much older, well into adulthood. Um, and I I'll, I guess when I was younger I took feminist to mean kind of that girl power definition of it that we get when we're kids, girls can do anything boys can do and you can be anything you want. you just have to work hard. And so that was sort of what I meant by feminism um, or by calling myself a feminist. I thought, sure. Um, men and women are equal. Like what is, what is there to argue about that? Um, But it wasn't until I was an adult um, planning a wedding that I really started to think critically about, huh, what are, what are some of these um, traditions that I'm coming up against in wedding planning that um, are maybe rooted in something in a patriarchal structure that I don't necessarily agree with and go it does going along with that um feel right to me and um that was sort of the first time that I started to explore like okay I've called myself a feminist for a long time but but what does it mean to be feminist and to make feminist choices in um a situation where maybe the feminist choice is harder um, and so there's just a lot to think about and unpack about that. So I don't know if you experienced that when you got married, but I think that weddings are often a ta- can be one of the first major experiences that um, people have to think about this stuff and really examine um, living up to feminist
1: values. I can I can definitely see that. I think for me, the coming up against something that questioned my feminist ideals actually happened while I was in seminary in a theology class. It sounds like not the same as what you're describing with the wedding, but it was the first time where, where someone, a professor actually called me, a male, a white male professor actually called me an angry feminist mm. and gave me a lower grade on a, on a exam than what my TA had given me because because of this prejudice that he had. And so Mm -hmm. I think for me, that was maybe an experience before my wedding where I came up against the resistance to feminism and had to sort out for myself, what does that really mean? How do I claim this? What are the kind what's the kind of backlash I'm going to get by not going along with the cultural status quo of what it means to be a woman and be assertive, instead be assertive. Uh, And I would say, yeah, I mean, wedding time, too, because there are so many decisions that are, are, women are expected to make around mm-hmm. weddings that can be sort of not, fem- not perceived as feminist. But I think we should get to a, a deeper question, which is, are choices feminist or not? And is that important? So
0: yeah, what do
1: you think about that question?
0: Yeah, you know, I think, so when we talk about... Um, choice feminism we're we're talking about this idea that because a, a woman or a person who identifies as feminist makes a choice that that choice is therefore inherently feminist and um, I really saw that um, put to the test it, during wedding planning and the way that I think about it is um, you can so f- for me um, I call myself a feminist. I want to live by a set of values um, as I sort of move through the world and live my life. Um, but I can't necessarily make every fight the hill I want to die on. And so for me, navigating choices is about recognizing this this particular choice I'm going to make is the feminist choice and I'm going to fight all the pushback that comes along with it. And for me, an example of that was, um, not changing my last name when I got married. And, um, that was a, a hill I was fully prepared to die on. And, um, I knew what, what, um, what choosing, um, to keep my name. I knew what kind of pushback I was going to get and I was prepared for it and knew it was going to be unpleasant. Um, And in a lot of ways that played out exactly as I thought it would. And then in other ways, a lot of people didn't care as much as I thought they would. And it wasn't as difficult a choice, but there were other choices in wedding planning that weren't as It wasn't as important to me to make a stand, like wearing a white dress or having my brother give me away, Um, things like that. Those choices um, I recognize as maybe those were not feminist choices in and of themselves, and I don't claim them to be, but I'm okay with the choices that I made because for me, I was picking my battles, I guess. And I have I have only have so much energy to devote to to that. Um and so I was choosing the thing that was the most important to me and then and then recognizing that there were a lot of elements to my wedding that I wouldn't consider feminist, but I'm okay with that.
1: Mhm. That makes sense. It does. I still go to the place though that I think Women who call themselves feminists or uphold feminist ideals spend so much time questioning the de- the decisions that they make that are within the confines of a- the patriarchal culture in which we live mm-hmm. that require us to struggle with these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I see this all the time too in my I, I'm a part of all these online moms groups that are self self-described liberal or progressive moms and. Whenever feminism comes up and someone is struggling with uh, a decision, especially, for example, to stay home with the kids and not uh, work outside Mm -hmm. of the home, this question always comes up, you know, am I a bad feminist because I'm staying home? It's like, no, you're not a bad feminist because feminism is a movement. (laughs) It's not about, it's not a lifestyle. And so basically what I want to say is are any of us really free to make decisions about how we raise children when our culture doesn't uphold um, the reality that most people have dual in- require dual income from both parents, mm-hmm. and there's not state-paid childcare or you know affordable childcare there? Like, are you really able to freely make a decision about that um, when we live in a culture that tells women it's your role to? reproduce and to take care of kids you know so like could we focus our attention on that and not about self-flagellating about decisions that we make within the confines of a really unjust system so oh man um, yes that's really where i try to get those discussions and when people say feminism is all about being free to make a choice that you want Mm -hmm. it reminds me of that stupid line from sex in the city when charlotte says I choose my choice. I choose my choice. Yes. And you're like, no, this is so stupid. I mean her saying that in that in that way just shows how stupid to me the idea of choice feminism is. Like it's not feminism. It's not feminism to me. And I think when we distract ourselves into individual decision making, we lose our gaze on the real battle, which is how do we create a more just society so that people of all genders are free to make decisions about their lives and thrive.
0: Yep. I think that that is such, um, that really sums up how I feel about it too. Because when we get lost in our individual choices and we also fight with each other over defining so-and-so's choices as feminist or not. So we spend a lot of time dividing women along the lines of the choices that they make. Did they change their name? Did they not change their name? Et cetera. Um, when we fight amongst ourselves, when we fight within ourselves are, we are fully distracted from the real work of creating a just world. And I, I'm fully right there with you.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be personal, because you talked about your wedding, I've really struggled with this internally too, because when my daughter was born, I made a decision to start my own business, and that has allowed me a lot more flexibility because I'm not in a nine-to-five job where I have to show up, and so I have taken on more of the of the childcare responsibilities and being available, and, and sometimes, and I took on a huge volunteer position, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a I'm a professional volunteer who is available Mm. for my child. Like to me, you know, I had the same, I have the same struggle that you're describing about your wedding with the stage of life that I'm in. And yet what I say is I live in a culture that does not provide a community of support for me to, for both of us to be in very traditional job settings and for both of us to not have flexibility. It's just not It's not practical and we don't have Mm -hmm. extended family around. So we have to survive within something that's already sort of set up against us to succeed for both of us to stay in the workforce in the way that we were before having a child. And Matt and I have talked about this. You know, I said my professional path has been impacted by having a child in a way that yours hasn't in a negative way Mm -hmm. that yours hasn't. Yeah. And if anything you're benefiting because people see fathers as more responsible. Yep. So, uh, and I mean, he, he completely agrees and we're able to talk through this, but it is so, just what we're describing is all of this energy that we're exerting on, Mm -hmm. on questioning ourselves when we could be focused on, on the real work.
0: That's so interesting. I go through that with housework. Um, and it's, we're kind of in similar positions. Um, I work from home and, um, it just gives me a lot of flexibility to like throw in a load of laundry in the middle of the day or to get dinner started quickly. Um, and my husband works more, um, he is gone from, um, he goes out of town for long periods of time or, um, he'll work 12 hour days and I have a hard time expecting him when he comes home, I have a hard time trying to say, you know, chores should be 50 So you should cook half the dinners and I should cook the other half. Um, when he doesn't get home until seven or eight o'clock at night, like it doesn't make sense. And so I've had to think about like right now, it's just the season of life that we're in. And I sort of look at the big picture of our marriage and the, the egalitarian nature of that. Um, and I feel like the the 50 happens over time, not necessarily on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's a good way. You know, to look at it. Mm-hmm. and I think about that with my with my sort of approach to living feminist values. It's more of the long the long game, the 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 big picture. Um, every not every little decision I make is going to be the most feminist decision ever, um, but over time, if I can sort of look back over um, my life and see that I tried to live, to create um, a more just world and um, tried to make life better for other women, I feel like I'm doing okay, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's getting caught up in those little decisions that just can really mess with our heads and get us off track.
1: Yeah, and I shared this with you. I have this amazing friend, Lisa, from from seminary, who is so wise. She's a pastor out in Seattle. But when we were in divinity school, she articulated her understanding of feminism to me. And it's always it has always stuck. And I'm not going to get it quite right. She said feminism isn't about making decisions. It's about making sure that life's most difficult decisions aren't disproportionately burdened on women, or that women aren't the ones always having to make those difficult decisions. And when you're talking about mm-hmm. a decision to, you know, change your name or not when you get married, that is not a question that men are asked. Right. It's assumed that women either make the decision or not, and then the the assumption is that you have to make sure that's okay with your partner, yep. and uh, you know, all of those decisions, or or the ones I talked about about decisions are, with kids and career, those are generally decisions that fall on women, culturally fall on women to make yeah. and to figure out. And so feminist, feminism to me embodied in reality would really be that those hard decisions are shared equitably and that we create cultures in which men can participate fully in their lives at home and they don't feel like they have to be, you know, out of the house working all the time. I mean, I'm kind of digressing now, but uh, that all of us, all of us are hurt by patriarchy, including men. So how do we create a culture in which everybody gets to participate, you know, fully in life? And it's not just about, you know, making money and work all Mm -hmm. the time. That would be the feminist ideal to me.
0: Absolutely. And you really are getting at the heart of it when you talk about changing systems and, um, our choices all can add up to a system. Um, but, at the end of the day, like it really is about the system of patriarchy that keeps men and women into separate and distinct roles. Um, and so tackling the system as a whole is what's going to change it. And I do think, you know, little, little decisions that we make here and there do have ripple effects to our broader community. Um, there are women in my life who I was one of the first people that they knew that, um, or one of the first women that they knew that kept her name when she got married. And, um, so I'm, you know, when I see, when I have conversations like that with people to just let them know, like, it's okay to make a different choice. Like that has a ripple effect that I do think, um, helps to, helps to change the larger conversation and turn the tide a little bit. But, um, really at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about fighting for systems at level playing field, like, parental leave policies and equal pay. And those are the things that are really going to change the game.
1: Right. Right. Making sure everyone has access Mm -hmm. to policies Mm -hmm. that support them. Yep. And just surviving and having families that they care for. So Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think when people say Jesus was a feminist? I think that that is
0: a really easy, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, it's an easy throwaway line uh-huh. that I, you you know, you don't hear them really get into the why and the how and where that comes from. Um, what do you think?
1: I think it's a really anachronistic thing to say. Yeah. Uh huh. But I think that there are, I think that there are models and stories from that, that culture as oppressive as it was for women and lots of other people. There are these stories that stand out. Uh, that we can point to, I think, in terms of drawing inspiration from in the way that we do our feminism, our movement of feminism now. Mary Magdalene being one, to me, mm-hmm. of, you know, the the first woman to see, or the first person to see the resurrected Jesus was, was a woman who then had to go and tell what she saw. And so when people, I think that those are great stories for when people try to make complementarian arguments, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. that men and women really aren't equally made in the image of God and have separate roles to play, stories like that can can serve as a way to say, no, actually we see examples of women taking the highest level of leadership uh, and being affirmed by writers who were men and steeped in patriarchy. So what does mm-hmm. that say that they we still manage to have these texts um, in the Bible they certainly didn't have to be there
0: yeah that's absolutely true i think too it's a feminist is kind of a tricky word in faith spaces and i feel like when people say jesus was a feminist they're trying to provoke maybe Mm. um and that's not a bad thing necessarily you know um provoking can lead to some really interesting and, and thoughtful conversations but um But you really need to get at the substance of that. Um, Have you had much experience with using the word feminist in your faith spaces?
1: Well, yes, because I mean, I've done a lot of feminist theology reading. So, that Mm -hmm. by you know, feminist theologians obviously take on the term feminist and, and hold it up proudly. I don't know if any of them would say that Jesus was a feminist. I think that's a pretty overly simplistic thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but so in those circles, in more academic faith circles, feminism is definitely something that's talked about as a way to put together kind of like our movement work with our with our faith values. And another term that I want to make sure we talk about is womanism. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, because that is, uh, that's a term that many women of color use to describe their own experience because many feminists are white and don't look at the racial intersections of how black women live both as people of color and as women. And those things are, mm-hmm. are inextricably linked. So, um, I, I think it's mostly though in those more, more academic circles or maybe in those little tiny, um, you know, super progressive circles of people might call themselves feminists and people of faith, but I don't think it's a mainstream idea at all.
0: mm And it's, and honestly, in my circles, it's a dirty word. Really? You don't use, yeah, you don't use the word feminist unless you're ready to have a whole set of other labels applied to you as well. Interesting. And, um, yeah, so it's, and I I say my circles, my faith circles is what I, what I mean. Um, my, I, and we've talked about this before, how doing this kind of work leaves us sort of at this, this intersection of, um, faith and feminism where they, there can sometimes not be a lot of overlap in our more like casual, um, social spaces, you know, you're either a person of faith or you're a progressive feminist but it's hard to be both where i live in the south anyway um and so it's a it's a word that i don't really use unless i already know that other that the people i'm talking to are kind of there with me on its definition um because it shuts down conversations it's a it's a word that is so loaded that it shuts down conversations in my experience so it's hard um I don't know. It's a it's a word I, I definitely um, embrace and uh, apply to myself, but um, it's one that I use kind of delicately and thoughtfully, depending on the context,
1: you know. So another feminist question that you have to deal with all the time is when do I out myself as a feminist? And, and under oh, what circumstances? Absolutely. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I I don't know that I have felt that so much. Now, or maybe it's just that I don't care very much, but I don't feel that same Mm -hmm. need. I think because I've been so outspoken in public about my work around women and girls that I think it's just if people Mm -hmm. are offended, they've already been offended by me. So me taking on the -hmm. language of feminists is... Is just not gonna be the difference of whether or not someone would talk to me, but that could be just the differences in where we live. You know, I'm in a little tiny blue dot of a of a purple state or red reddish purple state, and you are in a much different context. Yeah,
0: I'm in a deep red county in a deep red state. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and some of it is just the the blur we have now. I mean, the word feminist has really been co opted by by some. Um, who want to discredit anything uh, women say and do, um, and so painting feminists with this brush that we all hate men and we um, hate children and we uh, we hate anything pink or feminine, and um, so there's this really uh, serious misinformation about what exactly a feminist even is, what what the word even means. That um, I'd prefer that someone not automatically assume all those things about me, um, right off the bat before we've got a chance to actually talk. So, um, yeah, that is part of, part of the problem here is that, um, the word has just really been, um, misused so much. And I've been called, I, I have a family member who called me a feminist once and did not mean it as a compliment.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> right. derogatory. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So um, it's just kind of a case by case situation, but I, I think it's interesting um, how just you know we're both in the South, but even where we live, there's a lot of difference there, and some of it is just about being having a public um, public face. And and I don't really as much. And so I'm still kind of navigating those decisions.
1: Well, I'm here for you. I understand we all need support as we out ourselves about our various identities. So Lord, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're ready to step out of the feminist closet, I will be here to hold your hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could talk about this all day, all day long. I know, but I guess we should talk about what we're reading. Yes. Yeah. So I am reading, well, I just finished reading No Mud, No Lotus, The Art of Transforming Suffering by Thich Nhat Hanh, which I feel mm. self-conscious even saying. <laughs> but um, I've been on this sort of uh, meditation, yoga, centering, uh, mindfulness kick in my, in my nonfiction reading. And... Um, I really enjoyed this particular book. I've read some other books by Thich Nhat Hanh. And he's a a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, if you don't know. Mm -hmm. But sometimes what I struggle with in these mindfulness books is that it feels so abstract. And they always say stuff like, you aren't your thoughts. So I'm like, okay, but I'm thinking right now as I'm reading your book. So what do I do? And what I liked about this book was... There are a lot of practical mantras and things to just practice saying uh, in quiet as a way to get into a more meditative spirit. It didn't feel so ethereal. It felt very practical. And here are some Mm. things that next time you're experiencing some suffering, you know, just breathe in and say, you know, I feel my pain and breathe out. I feel my pain. I see my pain is there. So it's, if you're looking for something like that, yeah, it's kind of an, it's short. It didn't take me very long to read, but it was, it was very practical about um, some very difficult things to actually practice in real life. So I would mm-hmm. highly recommend it.
0: Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. I like the, <laughs> I feel bad saying this, but I like that you said it's short. <laughs> I can't, I don't think I could read long books on no. meditating, things like that.
1: No, yeah. it's very short. You can read little chunks at a time. It would go pretty fast.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out. So I just finished The Mothers by Britt Bennett. Have you heard of this one? It just Mm -hmm. came out and it's been making the rounds. So I would love for you to read this because I would love to talk about it with someone. Um, I found it a little bit challenging. Uh, The book is a contemporary story set in um, believe San Diego, and it's about the lives of two young women who are brought together at church and they're young, um, black women. And they, um, are both, they're dealing with all of these, um, life circumstances. Um, one has a mother who has recently committed suicide Mm -hmm. and, um, one has a troubled relationship with her mother and, so the book kind of explores their relationships with their own mothers, their relationships with the mothers at their church. Um, it's all kind of viewed through the lens of their uh, their church, and um, how church is where they come together, and um, they have different relationships with their church, but the part that I found challenging is that uh, the main character has um, an unintended pregnancy. And how she chooses to deal with it, I think the book does a really good job. I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> so I want you to read it. Okay, I'll but, read it. Um, I'll put it on my yeah, list. How, the, the book really deals with it in a very respectful um, way. But the it's more the, the guy that got her pregnant. I just have a really hard time with this character. And he's central to the story. He's the preacher's son.
1: Oh, of course. And...
0: Yeah, and I just really um, had a lot of thoughts about it, but um, I really enjoyed the book. I read it on vacation, and um, I thought it was a really just um, engrossing read for me, and I, um, it was a debut novel, so I, I think this one is going to um, fill in the blank for me on my Read Harder challenge of reading a debut novel, um, but I, yeah, I just, I loved it, and can't wait to read more by this author.
1: Yeah, well, your description makes me want to pick it up, so I will add that to my list, and we can talk about it either on the podcast or just some other time. While we're yeah, talking. I, I need a new to. fiction book. I just finished a fiction book, so I, I'm looking for a new one.
0: This would be a good one for that. Okay, yeah, and I think it'll be it'll be easy to find too, because it's um, I don't know that it's like bestseller list, but it's in very like new literary fiction, so it should be easy to Excellent. get your hands on.
1: All right, so I think Ashley, you are up this week for our Kindreds of the Moment so when we talk yes, about and our I'm favorite people. Super
0: excited about this one. So, um, have you come across hashtag One Hundred Days
1: of Feminist Ads? So, spoiler: I, when I saw this in our outline, I went and looked it up
0: before ah. we talked because I
1: wanted to know Isn't what it, it was. Awesome? Yeah, it's great.
0: So, um, this week's Kindred of the Moment um, is. Eileen Matthews, she, um, has been doing this really cool project on, um, social media called 100 days of feminist ads, where she basically, um, takes really well-known ad copy and gives it a feminist spin. So some of my favorites are, um, the one for Windex until there isn't a glass ceiling. I saw to clean. that. It's brilliant. I love that one. And then the blue apron one, everyone's place is in the kitchen. <laughs> I just love it. So it's she's she's doing some really interesting work with like showing how major corporations can do feminist advertising responsibly, not not like some of these companies we've seen lately that sort of um, perform feminism or perform justice. Like uh, oh gosh. Pepsi and that major debacle oh, a couple yes. months ago. You know they they do this really performative consumer driven. Um, justice or feminism and they really just reinforce (laughs) patriarchal norms and it's and it's really just a facepalm moment but um so she's showing how companies could do feminist advertising responsibly and creatively and um and really well so i like the one for nike just do it but ask first (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: like there's just
0: some really good ones yeah very clever Yeah, it's so clever. So she's got, um, she's on Twitter, and she's, like, right in the middle of this project. So um, she's also on Instagram. That's where I first saw her was Instagram.
1: Ooh, I'll have to follow her there,
0: too. Yeah, and then the last one I like is um, L'Oreal Paris, because you should never have to explain why you're worth it.
1: (laughs) That's good. I saw one for for McDonald's. Have you seen this one? Yes. It says 79 cent... Menu. It's just like the dollar menu, but it's valued less or something like that. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: it's sad but Uh, true. So
0: good. So, yeah, uh, shout out to Eileen Matthews this week for
1: Kindred of the Moment. So that brings us to the end. Next time we'll be talking about how to navigate division in our faith community or our friend circles or when the two overlap, which is pretty common so Mm -hmm. i'll talk to you
0: then ashley talk to you then thanks for listening you can find us on our website kindredspodcast.com that's kindreds with an s or you can send us an email at team at
1: kindredspodcast.com you can also follow me katie on twitter at katie zay that's katie with an e-y-z-e-h please send us your thoughts ideas and questions we'd love to hear from you